Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter uh, 27. They had the smaller music stand here, but I asked for the big man's music stand. We've already had uh, one altar call, so we'll have another at the end, and uh, God's going to help us. I enjoy uh, preaching uh, in our own conference and the privilege today, Friday at 11 o'clock, because by that time, the important things have been said, issues have been dealt with. We know that Pastor Mitchell's going to tie it all together tonight, and so it gives the preacher, in this case me, uh, a little bit more flexibility to uh, venture into some areas that uh, maybe we would not normally, and so I'm going to do that this morning, if you will look at Acts chapter 27. On Veterans Day, uh, one of the outreaches that weekend that uh, Pastor Ruby, Fred Ruby, and others uh, uh, coordinated in our church was a military appreciation day to honor and to support our troops and to recognize some of the growing needs of our veterans and uh, most particularly the issue of PTSD. And I found myself uh, being the second speaker in that uh, format, and uh, it was a little awkward because I could not come as an expert militarily, uh, as a hippie. Uh, I did everything I could, this is uh, shameful, but everything I could to avoid the draft, and that's why I have immense respect for anyone that has served, but I do come very familiar with and no stranger at all to trauma, and that happens to be the T in PTSD. And so as we begin this morning, I'd like to ask just a little exercise, okay, to get into the spirit, to be of one mind. And I want you to count backwards with me from three down to one, okay? Ready? Three, two, one. I want to preach on three seconds that can change your life, that can turn your world upside down, and the reality that in three seconds your entire life can change will never ever be the same, and that's called trauma. Someone asked me from one of the other churches how he could get a hold. He heard a sermon about three seconds, and I said, no, it's been under lock and key for this moment, and then after today, it's whatever. So Acts 27, I'm going to read two verses, and I'll tell you at the outset, I'm taking a little license uh, with biblical interpretation, okay? Some guys play fast and loose all the time. I get nervous, but so I'll tell you up front. Acts 27, verse 20. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Go down to verse 29. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Three seconds that can change your life. 
I want to look at the reality here of a traumatic event. We've already heard references this week to the monster uh, typhoon Haiyan that occurred this year. In our nation, there are many famous storms that have occurred in recent history and exceptional for their ferocity and their damage. There was Hurricane Andrew in 1992 that I think was the most costly ever. It cost something like $26.5 billion. There's Hurricane Katrina that ravaged the city of New Orleans that is still trying to rebuild from that. There was the book that later became a film called The Perfect Storm that described the converging of three storm fronts uh, on the Atlantic Ocean. And in our chapter, Acts chapter 27, in the classics uh, uh, and annals of ancient nautical history, this uh, is known for its ferocity, this terrifying storm which continued unabated for 14 days with the Apostle Paul on board. And the trauma of all of this is captured in verse 20 where it says, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now, I don't have time to elaborate on some other things related to this, but how many know there has been in a lot of circles a real distortion of what real faith is. Faith today has become all about maximizing a human potential. It's become all about living your best life now. But I've read the book and I read the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 8 when he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he writes those words assuming that uh, people are going to experience uh, some of those in their lifetime. And yet he says, in all of these things, uh, we are more than conquerors through him that uh, loves us. And I'm very cognizant of something when I preach this, because I'm going to be a little more open and personal about some things, uh, that sitting under this tent this morning are people who in their life have experienced, they don't talk about it in great detail, but have experienced severe, almost unexplainable trauma in their life and in their journey, and the genuineness of their faith has been affirmed in those times. And the point that I want to make is that uh, trauma is not a one-size-fits-all reality. Let me just give you a definition from the dictionary. It says an experience that produces psychological... I forgot to start my timer, so I guess I get an extra five minutes. An experience that produces psychological injury or pain, a powerful shock unpleasant experience that may have long-lasting effects or woundings, shock, psychological or emotional injury caused by a deeply disturbing experience. There is no escaping one fact, beloved, this morning, and that is life for all of us is a full-contact sport. And I could add probably that's a good definition of what pastoring is all about, is that none of us are going to get out of here without our share of what I'm talking about. Now, I was thinking, because uh, I'm going to talk about myself, which I am fairly uncomfortable about doing. But uh, from time to time, you know, we've joked that, well, if you don't have a sermon, just share your testimony. But if the Apostle Paul gave his testimony five times, and it's in this book, then I think I'm on safe ground. And uh, at times when I've made 
some reference, it has been beneficial, so I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. I was 23 years old. I had been married for seven months, and I was, and my wife Mona, we were the first couple launched out of the Prescott Church into Kearney, Arizona. Uh, This was uh, our first venturing into church planting. Uh, There was a group of people in that little town that called Pastor Mitchell. They asked for a pastor. Pastor Mitchell was very specific. You want a pastor? Yes, we want a pastor. Now, you're sure you want a pastor? Yes, absolutely, we want a pastor. Now, you want a pastor, right? Yeah, we want a pastor. And so, uh, you know, I... Uh, you know, the lot fell on me, and uh, I went, and uh, along with another brother, we arrived in Kearney, Arizona, and immediately they had the Copper Days Parade. This is the big event in this little town, and, uh, you know, other people hear the word parade, they think cotton candy. We hear the word parade, we think outreach. And so we got our little portable PA, we got right behind the end of the parade, right in front of the police car, and we walked uh, through the whole parade route preaching the gospel to everyone, and I can, I'll never forget coming into the city square, the man that called Pastor Mitchell saying, we want a pastor, he was a jeweler, owned a jewelry store, and I'll never forget entering into the square, looking across that square, seeing him standing in the front door of his store, our eyes met, and immediately he did not want a pastor. (laughs) And I have probably one of the shortest church planting careers in our fellowship. I lasted three days. And, uh, you know, guys talk about the trauma of redirection. Well, I was the first person to go out. I was the first person to be redirected. (laughs) And uh, coming back for redirection, uh, I hit some slick uh, pavement. We went into a skid, rolled over the embankment a number of times, uh, landed right side up, uh, And I'm unable to move, as the brother with me could fortunately get out, uh, climbed up the hill to uh, wave down some help. I wasn't sure what had happened. I just knew it wasn't good. And I was just holding myself up uh, in the seat. Uh, And so here we are. Three, two, one. Life is never going to be the same. Life has drastically changed. I'm not going to walk again. There is the strong probability that I will not have children. There are the numerous physical challenges that you learn and you have to perfect uh, to be able to live well. And people ask, well, did you pray for, did you believe God for healing? Absolutely. But I also made plans to go on with living. And so uh, we're back in the Prescott Church, uh, and uh, in the uh, month of December 1973, Pastor Mitchell did probably one of the most insane things in the history of our fellowship. He sent me out again. Okay, that's not, you know. So that's one. Let's fast forward, 1983. I uh, discovered, any man uh, will relate, I discovered that there was a uh, uh, rather awkward enlargement, went to the doctor thinking, well, you know what, Uh, this is... uh, Epididymitis, which is uh, an inflammation of the little sac, uh, that uh, little thing that runs down, and uh, you know, put me on a regimen of antibiotics. Uh, go back to the doctor when that's uh, over, and uh, he uh, says, "No, this is not epididymitis. This is testicular cancer." 
And so he says, we need to do surgery. And so here we are again. Three, two, one. Everything's going to change. And so I said to the doctor, I remember, well, okay, let me go home and look at my calendar when I can schedule this. He says, no, we're doing this tomorrow. And uh, there's no arguing with him. And uh, eventually that led to a chemotherapy regimen, which was a whole lot of fun, checking into the hospital Monday morning for four days of, uh, you know, juicing and uh, getting out on Thursday afternoon and uh, puking uh, Thursday night and Friday and Saturday, but preaching Sunday. And uh, God is faithful through all of this. So we can fast forward to 2007. Uh, I go to the urologist. Uh, and fortunately, just because of uh, the uh, paraplegic issue, you have to do regular uh, exams, etc., etc. This is going to be a uh, normal visit to the urologist. And uh, she says to me, uh, uh, you have a uh, growth on your kidney, and it's probably a renal uh, carcinoma. Uh, and uh, so fortunately, they were able to do this laparoscopically, go in, take it out, uh, and the healing time was a lot uh, less than would be normal. So this was 2007, and again, Three, two, one, everything changes. 2011, we fast forward again. And uh, I'd had a wound on my right ankle bone for years. It would not heal. And, you know, I just, you know, when you can't feel it, you just think, eh, whatever. And, you know, I just covered it with a Telfa pad and just went on with life and, you know, tried to do little things, etc. This, um, And so we're talking about a wound that was probably there for 10 to 12 years. And so finally, I thought I'm tired of getting cellulitis. And, uh, and so uh, let's go have this looked at. And they did an MRI that showed a bone infection in the ankle area, which uh, then, once again, three, two, one, everything changes. They had to do a debridement of the ankle bone, you know, put a pick line down next to your heart, dose you for seven weeks with nuclear antibiotics. And at the end of that, I said, I want another MRI to see what's happening. And there is uh, no improvement. Uh, in fact, it might have uh, spread a little bit. And so... I go to see the surgeon. He was an ex-Israeli uh, tank commander, colonel, and great guy, but no nonsense. He says, uh, Mr. Warner, you've got a serious problem, and uh, you can play around with uh, debridements and go through this and lie in bed for a year, do whatever, or we can just cut it off, and in six weeks you can go on with life. I said, well, cut it off. And so in 2012... Uh, here we have an, another uh, traumatic uh, situation, uh, and uh, I said, listen, I'm not lying in bed for a year. Cut it off. I want to go on preaching the gospel. And so, you know, it's like, uh, it's like a no-brainer. Uh, uh, a year and uh, a year and uh, antibiotics and all the stuff that that might bring or six weeks, and you can be back doing what you always do because you're not going to walk anyhow. <laughs> so it was a no-brainer. But David wrote, in the time of trouble, or in other words, in trauma, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock. And so, again, I recognize there are people under this tent uh, we are rejoicing in all that God is doing. But you are no stranger either to your own 
personal trauma. It may be a bad report from the doctor. It may be news about your child. I was thinking of a sister in our church years ago that got married to this guy who for all outward purposes was saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, married this girl, and in a matter of days uh, he just got up disappeared, never to be heard from again. And I'm thinking to myself, this woman experiences severe marital trauma. And so let's think in light of that about four anchors. And that's why I read the text this morning, because here's really where I want to look at. Because the powerful distinction for the child of God is right here. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. You see, what separates us this morning is a hope that does not deny pain, that does not deny trauma, that does not deny death, but does not let that pain define them. Do not mourn as those who have no hope. And I've been able over the course of my life, one of the things that I, when I left Good Samaritan Hospital, I spent Three months as an inpatient, one month outpatient. This was before insurance and the medical thing got so crazy that, you know, they're going to send you home two days later, whether you're, you know, alive or not. And, uh, you know, this is when, you know, they actually did take care of you. And uh, But I firsthand could see the contrast between people who have experienced trauma like I have but people who had no hope. They had no anchor whatsoever in their life, and the contrast made such a lasting impression upon my life. And our text, and uh, I want to point you to this, looks at a very powerful, a very practical action. And like I said, I'm going to take a little interpretation license here, but verse 29 says that they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And that is so fitting, first of all, because how many know that when we talk about an anchor, that is a biblical imagery. Hebrews 6, 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. So it is biblical, but the second thing is it is a very practical imagery since the purpose of an anchor is to keep you in place. The purpose of an anchor is so that your life would not be moved to a more dangerous place or a more dangerous response. It would help keep you in place. And sometimes in storms, even with anchors, you're going to be moved, but it's not going to be to destruction. And so in this traumatic experience in Acts 27, their hopes were riding on those four anchors holding fast. And I want to just simply relate from my perspective the four anchors that kept me in place in the midst of trauma. And hopefully, you know, this didn't come from a book. This isn't, you know, I didn't download this from the Internet. This is the four things I personally believe were the anchors and to this day are the anchors that are present in my life that I'm so grateful for. And the first is a fellowship or a circle of committed friends. And the reason I start here is that trying to deal with trauma in isolation is a recipe for disaster. 
One of the things that they are learning about men that have been in combat and are dealing with PTSD, and yes, I'm sure there are people who take advantage of that, but there are other men who have seen things, gone through things, have had things happen to them that are just not how God intended life to be, and that affects you. And they are discovering that the only thing that will help these men is that they begin to open up and talk about it. You can't deal with it in isolation. You know, Nelson Mandela, uh, Pastor Bannett referred to him the other night who just passed away. His testimony, many of you are familiar with it, is that he spent 27 years in prison. 18 of them were in a cell on Robben Island, which is seven miles off of the coast of Cape Town. This is where they exiled political prisoners for a couple of reasons. One was to isolate them, and the other reason was to crush their morale. But they made a mistake with uh, Nelson Mandela, is even though they banished him to this place, they left him and some of his associates together. And how reminiscent is that of the scripture testimony of the early church that all who believed were together. Those kingdom bonds that link our lives together in a common purpose. Those beloved brother bonds that help what? Anchor our lives. Now, these, when I talk about a fellowship or a circle of committed friends, I'm not ta- saying that this is going to be everyone. There are some relationships that are toxic that you do not need. But this circle is not going to be made up of many. You know, we have lots of friends and acquaintances and bros, etc. But not everyone is an anchor. And, you know, I can think back uh, when I was in Good Samaritan Hospital, you know, for uh, I think it was 11 weeks I had to lie flat while the vertebrae that they had fused together and clamped down healed. And uh, a number of things, you know, uh, Larry Reed came, and uh, I'm lying in a hospital room, and he uh, was going to preach somewhere. And I can remember being in Good Samaritan Hospital and bringing a little old rinky-dink tape deck and he had a radio program, and he was going to be gone, and so I'm lying in the hospital with my little microphone uh, taping these. I, you know, I, I, I hope that they are uh, disappeared forever, but uh, uh, I can remember brethren coming, and uh, just to get me out of the hospital, they put me on a stretcher, just put a sheet over me, and take me out on the streets of Phoenix just to experience some fresh air, to get me out and... Uh, and uh, we'd have a good time. When I had uh, my amputation, uh, Doug and Leonard that are here, uh, they, I don't know, they thought maybe I was on suicide watch or, but they, 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 they held constant vigil in, in my hospital room. And I just wanted to get out of there quick as possible because I didn't want to pick up any hospital born infections. You know, I just, you get out of here as quickly as possible. But I can remember times, you know, they're there, and, 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 and we are laughing so hard. I had to tell them, you have to stop. You're going to kill me. <laughs> you know, and, you know and, I'm, and, and the noise coming out of that. I'm sure the people in the hospital, what is going on in that room? See, those brother bonds are not made up. They are forged in Christ through many, many life experiences. And I have to add here that the faithful saints of our congregation and the men that have served with me on the staff of our congregation were so vital to help fill the gap. But it was an anchor of my soul. There's a second anchor, and that is the ministry of a devoted spouse. Now, I understand that not everyone in trauma is married, but trauma 
will test your marriage. Do not get spiritual on me. Like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, you, you don't have pro- trauma will test your marriage. It will test and it will confirm your wedding vows, your wedding covenant. You know, you know those words that you said when you got married that you didn't know, you, you didn't even remember what you were saying. You didn't really care because you're just thinking about the honeymoon. But you did say some words, and those words mean something. And they said, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. And I'm not just talking about any spouse, because... Trauma will reveal a person's foundation. But I'm talking about a spouse who shares a heart for God. And that is why in my life, the real hero, you know, Pastor Warner gets all the accolades. But the real hero, and this is not the, you know, thing, you know, every time you testify, I want to thank my beautiful, lovely wife. You know, No, this isn't a conference testimony. The real hero was my wife. And uh, I, I just, you know, words uh, can't. Uh, I, I did not. When I preached at home, I didn't do this. Uh, uh, you know, uh, if if Sister Mona doesn't commiserate because you have a little boo-boo, it's because she knows what real trauma is about. And that is why, you know, there is no one better that I know equipped to minister to people in trauma than her. And if you don't think so, when you get to heaven, you ask Vicky's and you ask Karen Heimberg if she's like that or not. And an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. The third anchor is now I can preach and get excited, but I didn't know how that happened. But the third thing that kept my life anchored is a purpose or something greater than yourself. And I feel so strongly about this. You know, someone said purpose is woven into our DNA and it should drive us to live and die for that which really matters. You know, Viktor Frankl, some of you know of him. He was an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist, but most importantly, he was a Holocaust survivor. And out of his experience, out of his trauma, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And I was uh, looking at this, and the actual, if you, you know, the, 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 lit, the literal translation from Austrian into English is saying yes to life in spite of everything. And it was lessons learned uh, from being a death camp survivor, and two in particular, he said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And he went on to say, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. See, the reason the Apostle Paul could endure such an horrific list of 
traumatic experiences. Can you read his testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 without being humbled and without thinking, you know what, my problems are like nothing as he begins to list the things that he's endured for the sake of the gospel and the reason that he was able to endure those things, I believe, was he had a clear, a consuming, and an overriding purpose, which is why when he spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. What kept his life anchored was uh, this purpose, this something greater than himself, which was to tell the incredible good news of Jesus Christ until his last breath. I was thinking about when I was first injured, part, uh, there's a twofold rehabilitation process. There was the physical rehabilitation, and one of the things you learn in, in the hospital is you've got to take dignity and just throw it right out the window. I mean, it's not a baby, just forget it, whatever, do whatever, you know, okay, okay, just fine. Yeah, I got to do that, okay, whatever, let's, I just, can I get out of here soon, you know? But uh, but the other half of it was vocational rehabilitation. In other words, how does someone go on and, you know, live a life, earn a living? And so uh, I remember the vocational rehabilitation program. It was was just very powerful. The first thing they had me doing was making leather wallets. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, you know, weaving this leather wallet and then the other thing, and Hardy, you know, I got to apologize, maybe, but they gave me this wooden, like a big cedar plank, and they gave, and, you know, you're put, supposed to put glue on it, and then you take colored rocks and glue them to it. And it was an Indian warrior, and I am in the hospital making this. This is this is preparing me for my future, you know, in a in a powerful way. You know, someone still has the wallet. The other thing, I think, hit the trash can where it deserves to be. But uh, I remember, you know, I was very vocal. And, uh, you know, when you're young, you're naive. And when you're young, you're a bit stupid. And, and, you know, you're young, you know, all, you know, you're Superman. And uh, I was very clear. I said, you know, uh, my desire... And my calling is to preach the gospel. And they look at me with a little, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, that's good, young man. I'm glad you, you know, you're, you're religious. And, uh, and, and I remember part of that is they gave me a psychological evaluation. This is part, <laughs> no, no, this wasn't, this, they do this for everyone. This is to help, you know, prepare them so they can, you know, like the crystal ball, you know, discern, you know, what you're cut out for. And I, you know, go along with the program and fill this thing out. I'm very clear, you know, I didn't waver. I want to preach the gospel. But I, and, and get out of the hospital, went on, forgot about that. But I did hear later that the report from that evaluation that I was not really cut out for the ministry which was a tremendous thing because that meant if anything at all happened that was good, then all of the glory had to go to God. But we're talking about an anchor, a purpose greater than yourself. See, it's one thing to talk about vision in this wonderful tent. It's another thing to talk about vision when you're lying flat on your back and you'll never walk again. It's one thing to talk about purpose when, you know, it's another thing when three, two, one, life is forever changed. Now talk about purpose. And that purpose is such an anchor. You know, it's very uncanny to me, the timing, but some of you know who Charles Krauthammer is. Uh, He is a brilliant uh, commentator and writer. He's a commentator for Fox News. And I knew, I had heard that he was disabled 
if you ever see him on Fox News, you only see a picture of uh, uh, him from about here up. And uh, I did not know anything about his story. I did know he was a private person. Because, and, you know, when, and I, when I, but he wrote a book, and for the sake of the book tour, they convinced him against his will to open up and start talking about his life. And, you know, I, I, I could so identify. There's a gimp culture. Gimp is a, a, a slang phrase for the cripple culture. Uh, which there's a language that no one else understands, but I could tune in. I knew exactly what this guy was saying, but his testimony was so uh, incredible and parallel as he was a sophomore medical student at Harvard University. And along with a friend of his, they decided to skip one of the morning lectures to go play tennis, and they did that, and on their way back to school, they were hot and sweaty, so they decided to stop at the pool, jump in, take a swim, uh, you know, cool off, and he dove in, and he just happened to dive in in such a way that he went to the bottom of the pool. I don't know if it was a depth issue or what it was, but he hit the bottom of the pool with his head in just... Uh, the perfect angle that he immediately broke a vertebrae in his neck, uh, severed, uh, like mine, his spinal cord, and he's a quadriplegic, and he knew immediately what had happened because the irony of all of this is while he dove into the pool, by the side of the pool were two books he had with him. One was the medical book he was studying, that was open to the chapter on the spinal cord. And the other book was the book, The Fate of Man. And I was thinking about his autobiography and his title because his autobiography was titled Things That Matter. Three decades of passions, pastimes, and politics. And the point that I'm making here is that here's someone who was not even a Christian, But what he acknowledged is what anchored his life in the midst of trauma is a life devoted to things that matter, a purpose that is greater than yourself. There's a fourth anchor that I can relate to, and that is an authentic relationship with God. And, 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 you know, I just want to talk about my relationship with God. There's nothing super spiritual about this, okay? I'm not talking about anything like, this is very, very practical. And I save this to last, and I use that statement, an authentic relationship on purpose, because this is not to be confused with religion. Mere religion will never anchor your life in the midst of trauma. I read about a zoo just recently in central China that shut down last year in August because they had advertised uh, you could come and see an African lion, but they didn't have a lion. And so what they had done is they tried to pass off a large, it was a Tibetan mastiff, this large shaggy dog as their king of the jungle. But uh, somehow, you know, it didn't measure up because people came to hear a roar and not a bark. (laughs) You know, I paid good money to see the lion and all I got to see was a dog. See, people want and need authenticity. And this is so critical to trauma because this is going to reveal, do you really know him? Do you really... I mean, really trust that he is a good God. This is not self-adulation at all. But I can honestly say that I have never, ever doubted the goodness of God in the midst of all of life's trauma. Because if Jesus died for me on the cross 
when I was a sinner deserving the best that hell had to offer, then all questions, all doubts have forever, ever been answered. But this will prove whether or not you believe that God is a good God. And Paul's testimony resonates with that authenticity. Verse 22, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God it will be just as he said. An authentic Genuine, real, down-to-earth, day-by-day, moment-by-moment, love relationship with Jesus Christ. I read that in the Greek Navy, on certain vessels, they had what they referred to as the sacred anchor. And the sacred anchor was the one that was only used as a last reserve. It was only used in the midst of emergency. And, and, and I can tell you this morning, when I talk about it's just a plain, just like you have, day-by-day day, authentic relationship with God. You know, the question over the years that has been asked me most often. You know, if I start to testify, I'm flying somewhere, talking to someone, they find out I'm in a wheelchair, inevitably the one question they want to ask me, because, you know, I've told them about Jesus and I'm a Christian or I'm a pastor, or we're doing this. The one question they always want to know is, did this, did you get saved before or after this happened? Because it was after, oh, you, yeah, you needed something. I'm glad you found something to hang on to. No, it happened before. Jesus Christ came into my heart like he came into your heart and transformed my heart and life. And what blew my mind, and it still does this very day, is through all of these different things. And it, it, it's, it's almost like, I don't have words. It's like one everything changed in life, but one thing did not change. It was so it was like this is unreal. It didn't even waver at all was the reality of Christ in my life. I mean it didn't it was like everything else is radically and sometimes forever changed. This this didn't change at all. It didn't even waver. An anchor. Adam, just so happened he was the MC this morning, reminded me of this. And he still, he told me he still feels bad about it. But I, uh, when I had my amputation, I, I probably it was because of the drugs. You know, when you have stuff, you love everybody. You know, and I, I, I'm too serious. You love everybody. You know, and when uh, I forget forget the name of the stuff. What's the the heavy? Anyhow, uh, but it may. You know, I'm, so I'm calling people. I'm in ICU. You know, it's dark. I've told you some of that. But you know, I'm calling people, and so I called Adam, and I'm talking to him about you know some inspiration, and and he. He, I don't remember this, and so Adam, you got a pass. That uh, he he said he he started talking about some of the things he was going through, and you know he's kind of whining a little bit. And then he asked him, "So, Pastor, how are you doing?" So, well, I'm in ICU, and uh, and <laughs> he 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 told me this morning over there that it's 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 like he felt so bad. Listen, don't feel bad. I'm not thin-skinned. Uh, you know, it was probably the drugs, like I said. <laughs> but an anchor. And so Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, 
Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. You and I were made for him. And the answer to the trauma of life is an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what? You may be here under this tent. I know Pastor Campbell made some references early and we had the first altar call. But you know what? Maybe your life. Maybe there's trauma going on and maybe it's hidden trauma because most real trauma is not, you know, spoken about a whole lot. But you know what? You can take those anchors and you can throw them out this morning and find something that will hold your life in place and keep you from drifting to anywhere where you don't need to go. God can keep you in place. Uh, Fear not. Uh, When you pass through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flame will not consume you. The answer to trauma, you want to know the answer to PTSD? Get saved. Have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Have a circle of committed friends. Have a devoted spouse. Have a purpose greater than yourself. And know Jesus above everything else. Let's bow our heads this morning. Hallelujah. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.